This episode is powered by Safety FM. Welcome to the Safety Consultant Podcast. This is a show where I teach you the business of being a safety consultant. I am your host, Sheldon Primus. And today we're going to continue the record-keeping session. So, so far we learned a lot about record-keeping, the requirements that you would need to uh, do record-keeping, just basically going through the 1904 rules. And then after that, just a basic went over. Uh, we talked a little bit more on some of the things that would be you know, specific, such as if you had a case with tuberculosis or if you had uh, what happens with needle sticks and things like that we did in episode two. So as promised, this episode is going to probably wrap us up and uh, I'm going to do work relatedness. So I'm going to go back to section five but I'm looking at specifically exceptions and uh, some of these exceptions can be a little bit mind-numbing but uh, I definitely want to make sure that we get this one done and then after the exceptions we're going to just go through the regular forms the paperwork how to fill those out and be successful at that so let's go ahead and get going on this one because it's just you and me we're just going to hang out we're going to do this old school like you remember the old school ways, right? When I had my music going in the background and hanging out. It's us. We're going old school right now. As I say old school, in my I'm in the 130s episode-ish. Somewhere. Maybe even more. Kind of forgot. So I hope you're getting something out of this. I just truly know that a lot of people have issues trying to figure out record keeping is one of the questions I get a lot in um, when I do my class for the certified occupational safety managers class cost M and then the cost class certificate for occupational safety specialist on the record keeping day it's usually a long day for me I know that gonna end up having to answer a whole bunch of questions on the fly and even now still I have to go back to some of the rules in 1904 and just kind of spell it out sit back and and think all right what is this person really asking and what's the real issue here and then we have to go through everything so one of the things that really catches people off guard is going to be the so I'm going to give you guys the actual citation so you know 1904, so that is the part for record keeping, section 5, paragraph P, B, as in boy, subparagraph 2. So in that little area, you actually have like OSHA giving you specific scenarios where they're going to call these things not recordable. Gone through the the open comment period and the preamble and everything will tell you why these things are not uh, recordable but I'm gonna just go ahead and give you the the information as it shows up through all the sub sub paragraphs so again if you're not familiar with the way OSHA terms things 1904 is the part we're in section 5 
paragraph B, and then two is a subparagraph to B, and now we're gonna go through all the sub-subparagraphs to two. So number one, and I'm gonna do them kinda in, in order so we don't have to worry about which way to go. There's nine of them that are listed here. So number one, it says, at the time of the injury or illness, the employee was, was present in the work environment as a member of the general public rather than an employee. So you know those people that wanna just hang out at work after their work hours or even before they show up because they're getting some ice or something. They're now gonna be a member of the general public. If they injure themselves, that is an exception to the rule. Though they are an employee of the establishment, they actually at that time of the injury was just as if a member of the public was there on the facility. OSHA has no jurisdiction from employer to general public. Only jurisdiction is employer, employee. So therefore that's a pretty easy exception. So number two, in the sub sub part, the injury or illness involves signs or symptoms that surfaces that surface at work, but solely results solely from a non-work-related event or assure or, or exposure that occurs within the work environment. So basically that means is the person's in the work environment, but they're showing some signs and symptoms of something that was non-work-related, so not doing something in the interest of the employer. A lot of times when you're uh, thinking of blood test, uh, excuse me, blood drives or something, and then someone passes out from a blood drive, is that recordable? No, because this sub, sub paragraph is telling us it's not. Injury or illness involves signs or symptoms that surface at work as a result from a non-work related event. Therefore, it also could include something else that you did and you're now seeing symptoms and signs at work, but it happened to come at you somewhere else. Number three, the injury or illness results solely from voluntary participation in a wellness program in a medical, fitness, or recreational activity such as blood donation. So that's the donation itself. Physical examination, flu shots, exercise class, racquetball, or baseball. So those are some of those activities, such as, not those specific activities. It could be like soccer or you know, football, as far as uh, we Americans call it soccer, but could be football to everyone else around the world. Yeah, injury results from that, not recordable. Number four. The injury or illness is solely a result from an employee eating, drinking, or preparing food for personal consumption, whether bought on the employer's premises or bought or brought in. For an example, if an employee is injured by choking on a sandwich while the employer's in the employer's establishment, the case would not be considered work-related. Note, here's a good note, and anytime you see notes in the standard, I always point them out. Note, if the employee is made ill by ingesting food contaminated by workplace contaminants such as lead or gets food poisoning from food supplied by employer, 
the case would be considered work-related, aka your cafeterias out there. So at that point, there is a difference between where the food is being brought in from. It's a personal consumption. You're bringing in your food, you're preparing it. Even the laceration, stitches, still not recordable. Number five out of this nine says the injury or the illness is solely a result of the employee doing personal tasks and the personal task unrelated to their employment, meaning in the interest of the employer. That's the key, in the interest of the employer. You're going to hear that phrase quite a bit. So this is happening at the establishment outside the employee's assigned work hours. So that's another key. So again, let's give you the full thing. This is on the sub-subparagraph five. The injury or illness is solely the result of an employee doing personal tasks unrelated to their employment at the establishment outside of the employee's assigned working hours. So again, someone is uh, scheduled. Let's say they're supposed to get off at 3.30. They're uh, four and they're still at work. Again, they're doing a personal task. At that point, if they got injured, not recordable. Number six is telling us an injury or illness is solely the result of personal grooming, self-infliction, uh, self-medication from a non-work-related condition, or is intentionally self-inflicted. So at that point, that is not recordable. Uh, basically, you have to want the results that you're getting. You're intending those results. Uh, the case I always tell is one of those um, cases that was in uh, OSHA has this whole list of frequently asked questions. And one of the things that they put in in the letter of interpretation is another one that they have. So one of the things in the letter of interpretation was uh, employee was so upset that they were downsizing that he punched a locker broke a f his fifth metacarpus on the locker, <clears throat> excuse me, on the area that he punched the locker, so in the hand. And in that case, when the person who was doing the records asked Osha, is this recordable? The answer was yes, because he didn't intend to break his fifth metacarpus. He just intended to, you know, hit a locker, <laughs> showing that he's mad that they're downsizing. Alright, HR should be involved in that one, probably, but it is not recordable. Oh man, how do you explain that when you go home? I was so mad, I punched a locker, and then I got fired. Yeah, that's not good. Alright, so let's go to the next one. The injury or illness is caused by a motor vehicle accident and occurs in the co company parking lot or company access road while the employee is commuting to or from work. So vehicle on vehicle, if there's an accident and then the, uh, well, one or multiple individuals end up needing medical care, anything beyond first aid, it is not recordable. And that's just a known exception on that one. So let's go to number eight, eight of nine. The illness is a common flu, or common cold, excuse me, or flu. Note, contagious disease such as tuberculosis 
and hepatitis A and plagues are considered work-related if the employee is affected at work. So that's what we're dealing with right now with the SARS-CoV-2, this exception that people think, oh, it's a common flu. Uh, No, not because of the way it's going. Uh, So generally what you're going to see is a violation in this section over here. So again, it's section five, paragraph B, subparagraph two, and this one is sub subparagraph seven, uh, excuse me, eight. So in this case, that's probably your citation, depending on you know the infraction uh, for COVID cases. But I said this in episode one. Don't chance it. Honestly, your first person that gets uh, diagnosed with COVID. Okay, uh, there's if there's no recordability in that anyway, but after your second, your third, and if any of them end up with a hospitalization or a day away from work because of the sickness, then at that point, count that as your 24 hours. Uh, well, not 24 hours in this case. In this case, it's just going to be recordable. But if someone's hospitalized, count that as your 24 hours that you need to call OSHA. All right, last one on the exceptions before we go over the actual forms. So number nine on the exception says the illness is a mental illness. Mental illness will not be considered work-related unless the employee voluntarily provides the employer with an opinion from the physician or the medical professional with appropriate training and experience stating that the employee has mental illness that is work-related. So it doesn't preclude anyone from saying that their mental illness is due to work, but they're going to have to disclose with you know HIPAA rules and everything else with the U.S. as a rules that are protecting people's medical information. That is going to be information that they provide to the employer, but a qualified person who's a professional that has the appropriate training and experience and they give you those types as being psychiatrists, psychologists, psychi- uh, psychiatric, psychiatric, I'm not sure if I'm saying that one right, psychologist, psychiatric, that's terrible. I'm going to just skip that one and just say a nurse practitioner that works for <laughs> in the capacity of a psychiatrist. <laughs> I can't say that word. I'm reading it, but I just can't say it. Uh, go ahead. Uh, he might have to respond how you would say psychiatric nurse practitioner. <laughs> I found in my life there are some words that I just can't pronounce, so I'm just going to let it go. That one. All right. So those are going to be your exceptions. You're going to see that. Uh, so get to know that one. There's a lot of questions and answers related to that. There's a lot of, um, for OSHA, they'd see this quite a bit. Uh, so what they've done is they put up a frequently asked question section and you can find that and, and truly work on that pretty good. It will give you a lot of the information that you're seeking. So let's quickly go over these forms, right? So uh, OSHA is looking at incident rates. And the DART rate is really important. DART, again, and I believe we mentioned it in episode one uh, for this record-keeping section, and I'm pretty sure we did because we're talking about the exceptions to who needs to record or not. DART, again, is days away. That's the DA, restriction, transfer, DART. 
So days away restriction transfer is pretty significant to OSHA. And the reason why is you could have someone who meets the criteria for total recordable injury rate, TRIR, but they may not have had a days away or restriction or a transfer. They may have had a, a stitch or something and they came right back to work after they got stitched up. That's not a DART case, but it is a TRIR case, total recordable injury rate. So the DART cases is what's important to OSHA and they give you the calculation right in the front of uh, the OSHA page so you kind of are aware of that. So the way that the 300 form is, and that's the number of the form that is the most important, uh, the one that, well, it's most important and it's time. They're all important. But the 300 form uh, is broken into columns and rows. So the columns will be all alphabetical order and the rows are basically cases. Column A is going to tell you to make sure that each one of those cases that you get has to have a unique number. Put in the employee's name in uh, B. If it's a privacy case, instead of putting in someone's name, you're going to just write privacy case there. And then uh, those are really sensitive uh, information. So put in the privacy case there. C is the person's title. D is when did that injury or illness occur? You're putting that in there. E, where did the event happen? Not just the location of the facility, you know, loading dock A or B or uh, something specific that is unique to that one location where the injury happened. F is gonna be your brief description on what happened, what part of the body was, was injured. Or if there's an illness, just a brief description. Uh, step three, which they call classifying the case, is basically a few of your letters together, G, H, I, and J. And it is basically the most severe consequence. You're supposed to go ahead and uh, put that in there. So for instance, let's say someone had a day away and later on you found out it's a fatality, then you would update this record and change it from days away and put fatality in there. Generally what I do with updates and I tell my clients is just one line through the change, uh, blue or black ink, and then put the new information next to it. If you need more space to write, then you could put on a second page and then just make sure that you write uh, on the bottom of something, page one or two or uh, something similar to that. So they know that there's more than one page there. The next thing that you're going to see is you're going to see the day count in K and L. So it'll start with the day count for the days away from work and then the day count for how many days the individual had been transferred from one place to the next. And then the last step, step five, is the M, that's the letter. And you want to go ahead and select just one in that column of it will be the most descriptive of what the injury or illness was. So there's a couple of uh, different choices, six different choices actually. So you want to make sure that you're going to classify the illness or say it's an injury. And what this is going to lead is from steps three to step five is going to end up giving you numbers. 
and you total those numbers at the end of the year, the total of those numbers is the actual 300A form. That's next form will go through the 300A form. You're going to transpose the numbers you got from columns G, H, I, J, K, L, and M onto that form. You're going to know your company's North American Industry Classification System code. Uh, it's a very important six-digit code. That's how OSHA knows what industry you're in. And then they'll kind of match you up. They'll match you up uh, injury, uh, industry to industry. And in those cases, what's happening is they're building a database. So the database is going to start seeing if there's a trend. Either way, less injuries, more injuries. And they're doing it by the specific North American Industrial Classification System code. This will also help them determine if they need to do a local, national emphasis, regional emphasis. Uh, any of those is going to be the trigger here. Then also you're putting in your company's name in here, your address. So this also is going to trigger some things. Uh, the new thought process for OSHA is if they see that you are going to have or you're having uh, increases in illnesses or injuries over the last three years and three years pretty much showing them it's the beginning of a trend, then at that point it's going to trigger you getting an inspection. So you want to really make sure that you're doing this right. But this is where that data is coming from. So if they see, you know, from your 300A forms, you're submitting electronically in the injury tracking application on uh, OSHA's website that we talked about in episode one. This is, again, they're going to start seeing those numbers go up because you're telling them or down. So then it could put you, if your numbers are going down industry-wide, but then you might see an update to uh, that uh, subpart B in 1904, there's a appendix A and subpart B. Those are a list of people who are exempt from OSHA record keeping. So if your NAICS code starts going down, it could be one of those exempt people. So that's another way it'll work good for you. On this form, you're doing your average employee number. You're also going to do the total hours worked by all employees that year. And again, they're adding people who are uh, temporary workers that you supervise daily. But the key to this one is knowing that on the very bottom, it's asking for a company executive. So that company executive has to be the individual who is the highest uh, rank of that establishment. It can't be the safety person unless you are the highest rank in that establishment. That's the only person allowed to fill out this form. only person just had to add that all right then after that you're going to really want to make sure that you get your your numbers right and uh, then there's one other form which is an early form it's your notice of injury form if some people like to call it and that's the 301 so in that 301 form you're going to have the person's name the address uh, date of birth the date the person was hired all the basic demographic information and then the information for the healthcare unit. And then what treatment was given so that we know that there's actual treatment, including if it's the emergency room. Uh, case number is all in there. 
so this is pretty much the nuts and bolts of the the uh, scenario that happened so it's pretty good form you want to make sure that you have this form available and um, pretty regularly you know when you have an issue uh, you want to be able to grab this form right away right and so just keep that handy those information about the three forms it's um not rocket science on this one but you got to make sure that you are definitely detail oriented because again the information that you're using on these forms is going to end up being information that uh, OSHA is going to review, especially if you have an intervention, meaning they're showing up on site. They look at these forms. They look at them because it's very important for them to get these forms and to understand them. So that is it. That is part three of the OSHA record keeping. I really suggest that you go on the OSHA website and osha.gov forward slash record keeping uh, scroll to the bottom of the page and you'll be able to get some good information on that page start reading some of the lettered interpretations uh, it's it's pretty good things I mean, you'll, you'll get a lot out of it if you need some more help I'm going to help you out Valentine's Day we're going to do an event starting at 9am central going to end at 1pm central so just a four hour thing we're going to go over in detail what you need to do with OSHA record keeping and I'm going to reserve time to go over your own records so I'll make a, a time for anybody that really wants to sit down and go over the records we'll do it so to register for this one what you're going to need to do is you're going to need to go to primuswebinar.com so my last name primus p-r-i-m-u-s webinar w-e-b-i-n-a-r dot com and then at primuswebinar.com you'll be able to sign up for this one so that is going to be the place to go and hopefully that you're going to get on there and get you get you some information get ready for that deadline for March 2nd so you could do this. You still have another couple of weeks before the deadline goes in. We got you covered, right? So primuswebinar.com. If you have not subscribed to this podcast, please do. If you hadn't shared with it, shared it to a friend, go ahead and share this podcast to a friend. It'll mean a lot to me. Help me out. If you have some time and you're on whatever service you're on, and you can write a nice little review. Go ahead and do that too. That's going to help quite a bit. So thanks everyone for a wonderful podcast. Helping me out stay on the air so long. Go get them. This episode has been powered by Safety FM. Views and opinions expressed on this podcast or broadcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within the past hour are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast or broadcast
podcast may be reproduced, stored within a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast or broadcast, Sheldon Primus.